Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello. 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 I'll do it again. I wasn't recording there. (laughs) (laughs) No worries. Now... Got there in the end. We did. And you have something that you really want to talk about today. Something mysterious and amazing and wonderful and from down under. Yes. And that's not a a euphemism. (laughs) We're starting off early today. It's a creature that's been in the news very recently, oddly enough, because somebody had claimed to have recorded it in the wild which wouldn't seem very strange for most animals, but this animal was declared extinct in 1936. Wow. So that would have been a big deal if they had recorded it. And the animal in question we're talking about is the Tasmanian tiger or the thylacine. And one of my, uh, one of my little side passions in life is a thing called cryptozoology, which is basically the, the study of animals that used to exist or don't exist or myths and legends and, and, and the Tasmanian tiger since it's been extinct um, or been declared extinct has been kind of gradually falling into that world because I think people want to believe that it's still out there. I think there's a lot of guilt in the fact of how we treated it as, a, as an animal and the way we kind of basically we ended it ex- its existence. So I think that's why people want to find it. That's why you get these reports every so often. And I was full sure, I have to admit, I got <laughs> I got swallowed up with all the excitement when uh, the Australian Thylacine Awareness Group announced that they had f- definitive video footage of, of a group of uh, Thylacines. I was very excited. And it turned out it was <laughs> just a wallaby. <laughs> but it really kind of reinvigorated my passion and my interest in these uh, animals and I think they're and not a lot of people really seem to know about them outside of kind of zoological circles outside of that weird cryptozoology world are they tigers no they look like a dog they have stripes on their backside like a tiger mm-hmm. but they're more closely related to kangaroos and they have a pouch and both male and females have pouches, which is really strange as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, the male's reproductive organs get tucked into this protective pouch, Aww. which I think would have been a great idea for us to have, especially on cold mornings when you're cycling. Little jockstrap. <laughs> yeah, when you're cycling into work, <laughs> it would have been handy to have. But um, yeah, so they really, they, they, they are again one of these creatures that evolved through convergent evolution, which we've talked about in the podcast before. 
they evolved to look like other animals around the world. So they essentially fill the ecological niche of wolves, um, dogs, foxes, that kind of a, a niche on the higher end. So they would have been like an apex predator in both Papua New Guinea, uh, mainland Australia and in Tasmania, which was their last stronghold. Now, they went extinct in mainland Australia, probably due to the introduction of the dingo by the Aboriginal people. They brought dingoes onto the island and they would have been directly in competition with um, with thylacines because they would have done the same kind of stuff. Yeah. And when you say they're the size of a dog, are we talking like a German Shepherd? Yeah, around that size. Yeah. So the males would have been about, it would have been bigger than a female and they would have been around a good sized German Shepherd dog. But there was variation in their size according to their age and and I suppose the, the supply of food they had as well and and looked for all intents and purposes like a dog. They, they couldn't wag their tail. They had the fixed uh, tail like a kangaroo. You know that stiff tail when you see them bounce? Yeah. They had a fearsome reputation because the local uh, farmers would, of course, find dead sheep on their land. Uh, when, when people started to colonise Tasmania, especially the British, they wanted to turn it in, into, you know, another England. So they destroyed a lot of the habitat that the tiger would have been using. They introduced sheep and, and farmlands into the, the, the old habitat. And there was a couple of recorded cases of thylacines attacking sheep. But there was also, you have to remember, a lot of wild dogs released onto Tasmania who would have been equally as guilty. I think the Tasmanian tiger was the fall guy if that makes any sense, you know, just something easy to blame and kind of became the boogeyman to the point that around the, I think it was around the 1830, some of the Tasmanian farmers got together, the landowners got together and started putting bounties on them. Oh, yeah. And that was only localised bounties for dead Tasmanian tigers and their pelts. But then the actual government of Tasmania introduced a, a, a one pound bounty, which is a fair bit of cash back then for Tasmanian uh, tigers and that went on from 1888 to 1909 and in that time they wiped out well there was over 2,000 claims made for that reward for that bounty so you can imagine a population of fairly secretive fairly uh, slow breeding we reckon they would have already bred well, like once a year twice a year maybe so they're slow breeding they're not massive populations of them because they're the apex predators. There's not going to be a huge amount of them on a small island and you get 2,000 of them taken out of the population. It's a, a fairly big dent. On top of that, there's introduction of diseases like a type of distemper, which would be like canine distemper. It's kind of like a, it would have affected their lungs and made them really sick and eventually die. That would have had a massive dent in their numbers as well. So they were really getting hit by all sides. You had those two things and then you had the habitat destruction. They needed a specific type of habitat to do their, their hunting. They would have hunted a lot on wallabies and, and, and creatures like that, smaller creatures than them. And they were mainly ambush hunters, we reckon, because a lot of it is guesswork. Nobody really, nobody really is 100% sure, but we reckon that they were ambush hunters. So you had them getting hit from these three angles. And basically... The last one of them left was in, in a, a zoo in Hobart. His name was Benjamin. And he died, unfortunately, in 1936. So it's a kind of a... It's it's a real... There's such interesting and 
completely unusual animals. And it's just so, so sad that they're gone. It's sounding horribly familiar, though, isn't it? I mean, the, if you think about how humans are treating wolves, say, in, in North America and the bounties out for them and there's these free-for-alls of yep. let's kill anything that people think interfere with their food animals and introduced farm animals. It's just, it's heartbreaking that nature has to be completely cleared just for human profit, you know? Yeah, it is. It's a microcosm of what was, you know, what we're seeing happening worldwide. And it is a, a tragic and kind of cautionary tale, I think. Mm. A part of me still would love if a camera trap in <laughs> the woods in, in Tasmania would show up a really good photograph of a of a Tassie tiger. I mean, it's not within or it's not outside the realms of possibility that it could happen, that there could be small numbers out there. It's probably uh, unlikely at this stage, given like all those factors we were talking about, given yeah. the fact that everybody has a camera phone nowadays. Now, there has been scientific papers written that said that th there was a good chance they would have survived in some form or another up until 2000s, the early 2000s. Mm. But that with, you know, the gene population shrinking, the, the diseases that are going around, the pressure from introduced predators, it, it just would have wiped them out anyway. So, yeah, it, it is a sad thing. So what do we know about them then, like their biology and stuff? And I really wanted to hear more about this pouch. It just sounds fascinating. So we, we know a lot about their bone structure. We know about their muscles and their fur, obviously, because we have all these beautiful museum specimens in jars and, and, and taxidermy models of them. So it's not like looking at dinosaur bones and, and having to really start from scratch. But we don't know anything really about their behavior in the world. We, we don't know if they went around in family groups or they hunted in packs or they went... They went out on their own. We're kind of guessing about their their hunting behavior, how they did it. Did they run down animals? Were they ambush predators? We think they reproduced once around December, but again, it's guesswork. The mother had four teats in her in her pouch, which meant that she could have four young in there. But again, you're guessing as to would that have been a regular occurrence? Would they have had one in the pouch, one outside? It really is the science of kind of looking at their closest relatives, which would be the, the Tasmanian devil, the quals, and trying to kind of gather information and a bit of guesswork from them and see uh, see if we can come up with some suggestions to, as to how they live. Because, you know, they were, they're such a secret anim animal from when the, the British, you know, got to Tasmania and, and, and set up the first kind of little colonies down there in 1803 that was and for the first 17 years of people living in Tasmania with a full population of the tigers there they were only spotted four times so you can imagine how secretive they were because they were nocturnal hunters we do know that it, it would have been very hard for anyone back then to really gauge uh, any behavior how they acted the specimens that were collected and shipped out to zoos all over the world Obviously, they're in captivity, so they're not hunting, they're not acting the way they they would in, in nature. So 
it's a lot of guesswork involved in, in how they behave. But we can compare them to dogs. Like if you compare their teeth, there's fractures that are made in, in teeth when predators predate on bigger animals than them. So in, in wolves and other canids, you'll find a lot of fractures in their teeth because they're struggling with, you know, bison, elk, deer, big animals. You don't tend to see that in thylacines. So that would lead you to kind of hazard a guess that they were hunting on maybe smaller prey than them or maybe prey around the same size as them. They also don't have the blade-like teeth that you'd have in canines. They had more circular teeth that would have been used for crushing bites as opposed to slashing bites. And that's, again, kind of leads people down the path towards an ambush predator that would have jumped out on a wallaby and crushed its neck and then eaten, you know, at will then. And, and, and even like the reports of like thylacine kills are very different to what you would see with mammalian predators. They would have eaten around the nose. They would have split the animal open and eaten liver, lungs, heart, but left a lot of the haunches, left, left a lot of the, the meaty parts that, you know, you would consider most mammalian predators would kind of get stuck into that. So they really were very unusual, very different and it's a shame that we can't put, uh, you know, an exact kind of... We, we'll still be guessing for a long time as to how they behaved. Um, and that is a shame. It is really one of those things. It'd be so amazing to see them in action. And, you know, could you imagine David Attenborough setting up a camera, you know, to to watch the last... Say if there's 40 or 50 of them left in the wild and they they send down the BBC Natural History Unit and the, the guys get some incredible footage. Excuse me, they send down Collie and Colette. Pardon me. <laughs> yeah, they might, yeah. <laughs> We'd be able to paint a better picture with our words. But uh, um, you know what I mean, though? It is. It's kind of, and I know it's romanticised. Like, uh, there's a, a great guy on Twitter, if you can follow him, is Dr. Darren Nash. He's a paleozoologist, a really cool guy. And I kind of listen to what he says. And he says a lot of this people finding them on camera or people out looking for them, he says that's more of a... A social phenomenon rather than a zoological one as in yeah they probably aren't there but people just love them so much they want them to be there yeah wishful thinking yeah exactly and then of course you know if you want something to be something you'll make it that way if that makes sense to you, you know it's kind of uh, yeah confirmation bias to the max yeah so you will have foxes um you'll have wild dogs in tasmania who will catch mange and when you look at a thylacine next to a fox with mange it's very very hard especially if they're in motion it's very hard to tell one from the other because the fox loses their bushy tail and they get that straight little narrow pointy tail that's the exact same yeah as a thylacine i'm actually looking at a picture so leo just handed me um a newspaper supplement from 1998 right from tasmania and it's a supplement about the thylacine and it's from the museum in Hobart in Tasmania about the thylacine and yeah their tail is what we would consider unusual because the animal looks really like a dog gorgeous animal yeah the um the snout is longer more slender than say um an Alsatian yeah and they're very lean creatures so they don't have that shaggy fur at all and then the tail is quite long like almost the length of the back say but smooth there's no fluffiness on it as we would expect from a lot of our dogs these days yeah gorgeous looking creatures if you were looking to look at their back end 
without the stripes if you took those those 15 to 20 stripes that they develop on their back end if you took them away and just looked at the back side of it, it you would swear it's a kangaroo you would actually very lean muscular and they're sort of um are they sort of buff colors sort of uh, beigey sandy colored with the black stripes on the back yeah and as they got older the zookeepers reported that um, their color of their sandiness faded and the stripes were less prominent. Yeah. But when they were very young, they would really pop with those stripes. Yeah. And those stripes are a real classic thing you'll find throughout predators in nature and prey. It really speaks to a, an animal that would have lived in grassy, foresty type mixture of habitat where you'd get these sh- shadows cast. Believe it or not, I know a tiger looks really colourful and, and amazing to us when we go and see them in a zoo but if you're standing in, a, in an Indian forest with dappled shade coming through the uh, the canopy yeah. you'd be very hard pressed to see that tiger if it wasn't moving It's like our, our tabby cat Yeah When she goes out into the backyard she disappears yeah. because of the stripes and her body outline disappears because the stripes make it very difficult to pick out what is the shape of that cat. So I'm assuming it's the same. And a lot of young animals have those stripes. So tapirs, for example, Brazilian tapirs, when they're born, they're quite light coloured and then they have the stripes because they disappear within the shade of the forest where they are. So they're less obvious. And then as they grow up, they lose them. So yeah, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, and and you see the tapirs will be using that as a defensive mechanism and the thylacines mm. are using it as an aggressive, well, not an aggressive one, but to disguise them so they can jump out and smash those wallabies, you know. <laughs> Just, um, and if you get a chance to watch them on YouTube, they do a weird thing with their back legs, which is really well worth watching. Who's, who now? The thylacines. Oh, they're on YouTube? They are on YouTube, yeah. You can check out uh, uh, thylacine footage from a zoo and you'll see them oh. pacing up and down in, in their enclosures. Those horrible old Victorian enclosures. But it still is very interesting to see. You, yeah. They have a very awkward gait. So they don't move as smoothly as you would see your, your family pooch or your cat move. And another live animal to compare them to is the Tasmanian devil. And again, because they're marsupials, they would have evolved from probably small hopping predators. So when they walk, they don't walk on their tiptoes the whole time like uh, a dog would. Sometimes they sit with their back foot flat up to the haunch like a kangaroo does. Oh, I'm looking at that in another picture. Yeah. Yeah, like a kangaroo does. And yeah. they were recorded in captivity actually doing a, a bipedal hop on the back legs. Oh. They could also stand up on the back legs using the tail as a prop, the tripoding that that kangaroos do. Yeah. And mice. So there is a, a, a theories that one of their hunting methods could have been to actually just, you know, jump out from a disguised position and <laughs> smash wallabies that way. Or if they hunted in packs, which we don't know if they did or not, if they, if they were hunting in family groups, maybe some of the others would have driven uh, wallabies into a trap that was set up we just don't know the one thing we kind of do know is that there was brain scans done of their their skulls their sense of smell wasn't great compared to canines so they probably would have hunted using their eyesight and hearing which is interesting yeah because you would see that big wet nose in them you'd expect them to be great smellers but 
Not according to the CT scans anyway. Wow. And um, tell me about that pouch, because I believe there's something unusual about the pouch. Well, yeah, it's backwards. <laughs> it's a backwards pouch. Ah, so if you imagine a kangaroo where the opening of the pouch, the kangaroo is standing on his back legs upright. Yeah. The opening of the pouch is on the top upwards and you see the joey jumping in and out. In the thylacine, it's underneath, isn't it? Towards the tail. It's underneath and it's facing out towards the tail. And there's a second uh, there's a second marsupial who's still alive and well, thank God, who does that as well. And that is the wombat. Ah. Now, the theory again, comparing it to its closest relatives, is that this would have helped the thylacine when it was digging out a den. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's a digging animal that will hide away like a badger or a wombat would... You do not want to be digging up and filling your precious pouch full of babies, full of mud and crap. So, yeah, it would make sense that way. No. So, yeah. But as I said, though, another unusual thing is the males. Reproductive organs are hidden in the pouch. It's the only marsupial to do this. It's very, uh, very unusual. I'm envious of them on the cold winter mornings. But <laughs> <laughs> it'd be nice to have a, a marsupial pouch to keep yourself warm on a snowy day going into work. If you're a drag queen, you wouldn't have to tuck. That's exactly it. It'd be amazing. Amazing. <laughs> RuPaul would be looking for genetic engineering. <laughs> Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know what? I've seen a stuffed thylacine, a taxidermed thylacine in the dead zoo. Yes. The name that we give to our Natural History Museum in Ireland, which is in the centre of Dublin. Yeah, it's a very, it's a smallish specimen in the dead zoo, but it's worth having a look at it. And it is sad. And you can see even, even that one is getting old now itself. The thing about uh, the potential spotting, that sort of pops up every so often, doesn't it? Because I'm, I'm looking here from 1998, there's an article here where somebody thought they had seen thylacines. Yeah, and I rang you that last couple of weeks ago when I heard about it and I was really excited. And you were like, yeah, don't get your hopes up. And how <laughs> right you were, how right you were, Colette. But, uh, you know, it is it is one of those things, especially when you hear somebody, though, who's, 
you know, so flat out, like, we've done it. We've found it. As he said, the, the guy, uh, Neil Waters, I think it was his name from... Uh, he was totally convinced. He was totally convinced. And, like, to go on YouTube and to say, look, we're at this, doing the right thing. We sent this footage to the scientists and they're going to confirm it and then we're going to come back and show it to you guys. You know, I swallowed that hook, line and sinker because I really believe it. And I did forget about, you know... Mm. Uh, confirmation bias and you know all this stuff that you have to take into account with people especially you know someone like Neil and fair play to him he's given up his life really to search for these animals and I again I hope he I hope he finds them it's it, it's highly unlikely but you know at least somebody's out there and trying and has a bit of passion I suppose and yeah but I won't be I won't be rushing to uh to accept anything from 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 now on uh, until until it's completely confirmed. Uh. This newspaper uh, supplement that I have in front of me again, it's from 1998 from Hobart, and there's a few little interesting factoids about the thylacine. So apparently, the bands of stripes that they had on their back end was unique. So each set of stripes was like fingerprint. They're all different. Now that's something I never knew. That's fantastic. Yeah. So you could identify them then from. Like our newts, how <laughs> you can identify them by markings. Yeah. That's really cool. That's very, very good. And it says here as well that they never went back to a kill for second helpings. Ah, they had evolved distending stomachs, you know, like the stomachs that uh, canines have where they will, you know, they'll eat until their belly is like three times the size of what it normally is. They can really pack in a lot of food. That again is because, you know, they wouldn't always be successful in a hunt, just like wolves just like most predators, they wouldn't be successful in the hunt. So when they were successful, they really had to wolf it all down, for want of a better word, and fill themselves up. <laughs> what an amazing animal. What a, what a shame. What an absolute shame Yeah, that they're gone. Like, it's just, ugh, it makes you sick. In a way, the, the Tassie tiger going probably has helped Australia be so strict about... Mm. It's wildlife nowadays. It like Australia is one of the better countries for trying to protect native species now. Yeah, and I think maybe that sacrifice that was made by that animal, in a weird way, has worked to save many more. I would hope so, anyway. Yeah, although the koala is looking a bit dodgy at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I suppose everything is. But look, hopefully they won't go the same way. They had lots of names too. They were called Van Diemen's Land tiger because Van Diemen's Land is the old name for for. Um Tasmania. They were called the zebra opossum, the zebra wolf, the Tasmanian dingo, the Tasmanian wolf, wow. the pouched hyena, <laughs> and also the marsupial wolf. That's amazing. The pouched hyena. I like that. Sad. It's a sad one, but it's an interesting one. And it's like, I suppose it's topical because it's still out there. And then, look, if you have a few minutes today and you're, you're, uh, you're bored at home during our endless lockdown, have a look at some footage of the old Tasmanian tiger or thylacine and just marvel at them what amazing creatures we were and you know there's some really good documentaries online too and well worth well worth reading up and well worth discovering them as a creature or the wolf I mean the last wolf in Ireland disappeared in the 1700s and we're just lucky that they're still you know found in other countries but they're also being hunted to extinction in crazy numbers we could lose our fox. We could lose lots of our animals. And that would be... In the same way. Oh, devastating. Yeah. I often think of that. You think about this, right? Imagine it wasn't the, the, the thylacine that went. Imagine it was the rhino that had disappeared in the 1930s. The rhino or the 
the the mountain gorilla. Imagine they had disappeared. Imagine the legends and people would be like thinking it looked like a bull, but it had one horn and it was shaped like a dinosaur. Do you know what I mean? It's it's an awful shame to think of these animals disappearing. So yeah, don't let don't let them get to that stage. So a lesson from history for us all to take note of. I really think so. What do you reckon? I totally agree. I totally agree. Yep. Lovely. There you go. Listen, we should shout out to our Patreons. Oh, yes. Who are our best friends. Um, thank you so much because it, this stuff is stuff that me and Coletta are very passionate about. We love doing this and helping us cover our overheads is just amazing. Um, can't thank you guys enough for that so yeah it's really really appreciated yeah and also we have a website oh yes not only does it make it easier to find and listen to the stuff it looks fantastic as well but there's a feature on it that you can just um leave us a voicemail there's a microphone icon both on your mobile and you can see it on your laptop so just click on the microphone icon you can leave us a voicemail and ask us questions make a comment whatever it's just an easy way to get in touch with us yeah if you have any questions about natural history give us a shout if we don't know the answer we'll definitely know somebody who does that's a fair enough statement to say isn't it it really is it is absolutely I've gotten drunk with a lot of cool naturalists so yeah we know a lot of people out there so um, yeah hit us up it'd be great um, great to hear from you The Critter Shed is part of The Warren the home of great Irish podcasts as is my podcast Meet Your Maker you can find more great shows at thewarren.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.